We're in John 14. This is uh, the last few days, last hours, last moments of Christ's life before the crucifixion, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. So, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, we're into the, the nitty-gritty of what does Jesus want the disciples to know? What does He want them to understand? What does He want them to remember? Once He is no longer physically present, He will remind them He will always be present. Uh, but, but what do they need to know because of what God is going to expect them to do? In which we can look back and see that they actually did. I think that may be one of the coolest parts of looking at John 14. He's going to make some promises here and, and, and tell them of some truths that will sustain them through some very difficult times. The cool part for us is we can kind of look at this back through the lens of what has already happened. They didn't get to do that. They're hearing this advice from Jesus and these commandments and, and these uh, promises through the lens of we don't know what's going to happen. We don't even understand what he's talking about. He keeps talking about dying. We don't think he's going to die. He's supposed to be our Messiah. Why would the Messiah die? They don't get any of it. All they know is that there is a palpable tension in the room because Jesus keeps talking about his death and his burial and his resurrection and his blood and all of these things and his body being given for them. He's talking about a betrayer and, and how he will be turned over to the authorities. And they're saying, hey, we'll go with you to death. But they're thinking there's not going to be death. That's easier to do, right? It's really easy to say, yeah, I'll, I'll fight to the death when you're talking about going on a shockwave at Six Flags, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll go. Now, although I will tell you, the first time that I ever rode the shockwave, I, I, was, I was barely meeting the, the required height, and I was brave all the way in that line until the moment I was next. You know what I'm saying, don't you? It's the same thing happened with the apostles. They were very brave until they were next in line. And we get to look back. And despite their fear, despite their, their cowering and hiding and everything else that would come right after in the immediate hours after the crucifixion, we also get to read the book of Acts. We've seen them have their courage back. We've seen them speak by the power of the Holy Spirit. We've seen them let God work through them to heal, to preach, to teach, to convert, to baptize, to absolutely change the world in a way that even their enemies said, quote, they have turned the world upside down. So we've seen all of that. And we can look back through that lens. And the thing that we know is that everything He told them on this night in John 14, Jesus has already done for them. So... If we know that Jesus has already kept these promises for them, what can we know about His promises as they extend beyond them to the church that would live through the 3rd, 4th, 5th, 20th, and 21st, and even the 22nd centuries until Jesus comes? God keeps His promises, doesn't He? So let's look at John 14. And uh, I want to start here in verse... I want to go back to 12. We're studying from 15 on, but I want a little context there. In 12, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this, will I, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, for context, I want to get this part. When he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, Verily, verily, I say unto you, if you use the King James, Eastern the Governor Yuvam, if you're using the Russian Synodal, 
I don't know, maybe Bill uses Russian. It's a 14th century version, I thought maybe. The, uh, the, the, what he's trying to get to say is, I am telling you the truth. You can go to the bank on this. This is not shaky. This is not maybe. This is the way it is. Well, that's the kind of stuff you want to pay attention to Jesus when he says this stuff. And what did he say? Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And I think he implies here bigger than just the miraculous works that he would do. Sometimes we'll come to this and we'll, we'll think immediately of, oh, the, the, the amazing works, the healings, the, the, the putting mud in people's eyes and they'll see again, all of that kind of stuff. That's included. But I think he's actually talking bigger than that. I think he's actually getting into the stuff for us of you are going to live the way that I have lived. When you saw me speaking to that woman at the well, John chapter 4, he speaks to the woman at the well, you're going to do that. You're going to teach people who think that they are outside the grace of God that the grace of God goes further than they would ever dream. You're going to sit there and tell the people that the society would have kicked out, that the religious people would have kicked out, that they are not only not kicked out, but that they are forgiven, as he did with the man who was born blind in John chapter 9. All of those things the people of God are going to get to do. And he says, you're going to do even more than what I've done. And again, we can sit there and go, well, what does that mean? Again, look at the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, you see the world changed more by Jesus through the church than you saw the world changed by Jesus in His own ministry. Have you ever thought about that? Think about it. He had sometimes hundreds of people following Him. When He fed the 5,000, that was 5,000 men, He might have had 10, 15, 17,000 people following Him around. By the time we get to the book of Acts... There are more Christians than that in Rome. Is that not absolutely incredible? Jesus kept His promise. You will do greater things than you have even seen in my earthly ministry. And by Christ and by His Spirit, they actually did. And we get to sit back and look and read this stuff and see Jesus, God, keeping these very promises. That ought to be exciting stuff because the book of Acts doesn't end with a the end. It ends with a to be continued. And you know who's the dot, dot, dot? You. God has made the same promise through you. So that's context. Okay, now let's get to 15 where we are this morning. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot see. Stop and look at this first phrase here for a second. The first part, well, you won't. I'm clicking things and y'all aren't even seeing things. Isn't that great? Sorry about that. Right there, it's underlined for you. You're an underliner. Verse 15, let's look at that again. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, people sometimes will say things like that. And they mean it in a very different way. So sometimes we might read this, some of, some of us might read this and go, I don't, I don't know if I like the way he said that. I don't know if I like what Jesus said there. Not because you have a problem with following Jesus or following the commands. You had the problem with, if you love me, then you will kind of statements. There are, are 
husbands, wives, boyfriends, girlfriends, mothers, fathers, children who will use that kind of a phrase all the time to manipulate. Well, if you really... And they, they always say it that way, right? Well, if you really love me, you'd go out and take out that trash, right? If you really loved me. And what happens as a result of that? Either big blow up, I love you, but I ain't taking out no trash. Or, or, okay, and you go. But there's no joy in that, is there? It's manipulative when it's done that way. And so there's, there's something about, you know, in translation into English, some things get lost in translation, and some things get misunderstood through experience. And sometimes we can read what Jesus is saying here and saying, man, that's, that's kind of like Jesus manipulating us. He's not. What he's saying is similar to what James says in chapter 2. In the book of, of James, James being Jesus' earthly brother, James says, if you want to show me your faith and, and just say you have it, fine. But if I'm going to show you my faith, I'm not going to show you with what I say. I'm going to show you with what I do. So what Jesus is telling the apostles is, if you really love me, I want to see it in the way you live. I want to see it change the way that you actually act. I don't want you to just tell me. I don't want it to just be about feelings. You know, oh, I love you. It's not Valentine's Day where half the people don't even know what they're doing. Isn't that true? The women said yes more than the men. Interesting. No, <laughs> the, the, you know, Valentine's Day can be kind of... Uh, all about just kind of hallmark and feely, feely kind of stuff. You know, Carpenter song kind of mess. I know some of you are fans. But the, uh, the, the, what I'm getting at is this. He wants us to move beyond an idea where our Christianity is, I love Jesus, I love Jesus, I love Jesus. Okay, what was your Monday like? Oh, man. I went to Walmart. I had to cuss out three people just to get to the broccoli but I love Jesus. Anybody here? Don't raise your hand. Anybody here like that? I didn't cuss anybody out at the broccoli, in case you're wondering. The, uh, but you know, do our lives match our profession? Do they match our cards? Do they match what we're saying we believe? Or, or not? What Jesus says is, if you really love me, you're going to obey my commandments. You're going to live what God has told me to tell you and put it all into action. Real trust is what we're really talking about. Real trust in Jesus and real love for Jesus is actually giving Him the reins and letting Him say, okay, I can make your life better. I can make you stronger. I can make you more loving. I can make you see more peace and more joy in your life but it's going to require some things. Mentioning in class during the prayer request, uh, Tanya finally getting her treatment for her thyroid. But before she gets to go to the doctor and get the treatment for the thyroid, there are instructions. Here's what you then have to do. You're going to have to eat unsalted rice cakes. Mmm, I'm out. You know, that sort of thing. No, why do you do it? Because there is a hope ahead of you. There is a difference, though. Doctors can give hope. Jesus gives fact, right? And that's not, a, that's not a cut on doctors. Doctors are human. Jesus has a sealed guarantee that just is better than any human can give to another human. And he's saying to us, 
if you love me and if you want to see the life that I've made for you, it's going to take some things. You're going to have to eat a few rice cakes. You're going to have to do this. You're going to have to do that. But I guarantee you, the outcome is better. The outcome is worth it. This is what he's getting at. So if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Next thing he tells us is, is a promise. He says, verse 16, let's look at this. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit, capital S, Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him, for He dwells in with you, excuse me, He dwells with you and will be, talking about Pentecost, where a major change happens in the relationship between the Spirit of man. He is with you. He will be in you. You know, that's one of the big differences Acts chapter 2, at Pentecost, when the Lord pours forth His Spirit on all men, that was one of the big differences. You look through the Old Testament about how He talks about the Holy Spirit among the people of God. It's with, it's among, it's moved through. When you start to read into the New Testament from Acts 2 on, it is in, 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 in. It went from God just being near you, the Spirit being working by you, to the Spirit working within you. We are, our bodies are, the temple of the Spirit of the living God. Not just by us. The Spirit is not someone that we encounter. The Spirit is never a something. Let's just get that out the way right now. If you've been using the wrong pronouns, it ain't it. It. We've been talking about it. It ain't it. He is the Holy Spirit, is the way Scripture talks about the Spirit. The Spirit comes to live within us, all by Jesus' promise. He's telling them, I'm going to be gone. You've seen me. You've been with me. You've lived with me. You want to be like me. That's going to take you listening to me. That was number one. And I want you to know that you're not alone in this. There is a power and a strength and a presence through the Holy Spirit that will guide you in a way that you don't understand and that the world can't even comprehend or partake of. But the Spirit that is with you now is going to be within you. And He will be your comforter and your helper. And one of the things that I wanted to look at is this word helper. Depending on your translation, this is the English Standard Version. That uses the word helper. Some translations use advocate. Some translations will use comforter. Now, all those words kind of bring a different aspect of what the Greek word is, and you really kind of need all of them. For one, comforter is, is not meaning God's my great big blanket, you know, because there's that kind of stuff these days on a bumper sticker at a Christian bookstore. I'm surprised nobody has come up with the Holy Spirit quilt, aren't you? He's my comforter. Uh, it's not that. The word is paraclete. Well, kind of transliterated, we would say paraclete. And what it means, para, you know, like a parachurch organization is an organization like a Abilene Christian, for example, or a children's home, foster's home over in Stephenville. A parachurch is an organization that comes para alongside the church and helps the church to do ministry, and helps to equip the church to do ministry, but is not itself the church. It's something, and it's an organization that comes alongside the church. The Holy Spirit, this word that John uses, and it's only used five times in Scripture, four of them John uses for the Holy Spirit, the fifth John uses for Jesus Himself, nobody else even uses it. So John chose it very particularly. He is one who comes alongside to encourage, who comes alongside to strengthen, who comes alongside to defend, 
The way He uses it in 1 John of Jesus is that Jesus goes to the Father and is our advocate before the Father to say, this one is mine, this one is forgiven, this one may have failed, but this one is repenting, God's grace abounds. And He uses this word for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come to you because I am going to put Him within you. And all of these things that you will face, all of the opposition from the world, He gets in here a few verses and He starts talking using some very ominous language about the ruler of this world is now coming. Talking about Satan. He's like, he talks about him like he's right at the door. You almost see like, you remember in Lion King? Everything relates to, to a cartoon, right? Remember in Lion King, all the foreboding imagery that was used whenever Scar takes over? The trees die, the dark clouds come over, the water dries up, and everything just immediately becomes gloomy. And that was all a picture metaphor for what happens when evil takes over. It's actually a pretty good metaphor, isn't it? Jesus says in the next couple of days, it's going to be just like that. In fact, it was, quite literally, like that. The light of the sun and the moon were darkened. The earth shook. He breathed His last. He says, those days are coming. But you, you're not alone in this. I will send my paraclete, my advocate, my comforter, my helper. And whatever you need, He is there for you within you. You can't lose Him because He's in you. Right there to help you handle whatever it is that comes up. Hebrews 13 says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, quote, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And this is part of what Jesus is trying to get across to the apostles. Trust me. Trust my word. If you live by my commandments, you'll make it. It's going to be tough. You're going to need strength. You're going to need guidance. You're going to need even sometimes to remember what I even told you, he'll say later in the chapter. I will send you a helper, an advocate, a comforter who will be there. When you need the, don't know the words to speak, he'll help you with the words to speak. When you don't have the strength to stand, he will help you stand. When you don't know which direction to turn, he will guide you. and He will be not just with you, but he will be within you. Let's jump down. Verse 27. In verse 27 he says, I am leaving you with a gift. This is from the New Living Translation. I love the way that it was worded. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give you, or excuse me, the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Remember what I told you. I'm going away, but I will come back to you again. If you really love me, you would be happy that I'm going to the Father who is greater than I am. I have told you these things before they happen, so that when they do happen, you will believe. I don't have much more time to talk to you because the ruler of this world approaches. He has no power over me, but I will do what the Father requires of me. Kind of a, an ominous prophecy there, isn't it? He's not really winning. It's going to look like it. Just remember, he doesn't win. I'm just going to be obedient to the Father even obedient to the point of death, Philippians chapter 2 says. I will do what the Father requires of me so that the world will know that I love the Father. And he says, let's go. Let's go. 
Everybody likes a gift, right? Everybody likes a gift. And so, you know, it's, it's Father's Day. What are all the fathers wondering what they're going to get? Anybody get a tie this morning? We're not a very tie-ish church. If you did, you didn't wear it, did you? Shame if your kid gave you a tie and you didn't wear it. But my kid did not give me a tie. I'm glad. The, uh, but there's always that little bit of anticipation. What am I going to get? Is it going to be Thai? Is it going to be bacon? Is it going to be... And I can't think of anything else. I'm hungry. What's it going to be? Christmas. You know, you always wonder. You, how many shakers do we have? Not people who make really nice chairs, but how many like gift shakers do we have? Anybody? We have one, two, three shakers and 14 liars this morning. Uh-huh. All the mamas know who the shakers are, right? But people, uh-huh. So you're in there and you're trying to figure out, mm, what is that? I'm not a shaker, but I am a weigher, you know? I don't know why. I guess I can rule out, I can rule out a, a big old box of 9 millimeter if it's pretty light, right? That kind of thing. But, you know, you kind of wonder. You smell it. Hope it's not a, 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 a puppy. There better be breathing holes. But, you know, woo, you just wonder what that is. Jesus says, I'm going to give you a gift. He's already said, you can trust my word, and if you will obey my commandments, if you will live by my word, you're going to get through this. He said, I will leave you a helper, a comforter, an advocate who will be there with you. And then he says, and I've got a gift for you. And you're sitting there thinking, I'm thinking, well, that's already pretty good. What have you got? He says, I will give you peace of mind and heart. I don't know that there would be anything better we could have than peace of mind and heart. Even the things that you get in a gift box sometimes just bring about a stealing of your peace of mind, don't they? Fathers, a lot of times, they get a gift and the first thing they're thinking is, I hope you all didn't spend too much, right? What would you spend on that one? You know, or maybe not. Maybe like maybe you didn't spend enough. I don't know how you are. I'm cheap. The... Uh, they, they give you, a, I don't know, anything with a motor. That's good, right? Anything with a motor. I love my gas weed eater, i got to tell you. Anything with a motor. But doesn't that also sometimes bring hardship? Like when the thing just breaks out of nowhere? Mine recently did. And, and I like the replacement part better. But, you know, for a little while there, you're kind of frustrated. Peace of mind and heart never lets you down. It doesn't mean that there's an absence of hardship. It doesn't mean there's an absence of things that can steal your joy. What he's telling them is, in the midst of all the chaos that will come as the dark one is already approaching, I will give you peace. Even when you see a grave and a stone, I can give you peace. Later on, when they would see Roman guards slam the door shut in front of their face as they locked them in a jail cell, they would find peace. Paul, who was not there that day but knew the promise well, Paul and Silas, they would find them singing in the prison. We're not talking like American prison. American prison is like double tree compared to, with chocolate cookies and all, compared to a Roman prison. Think like Russian prison without the upgrades. 
And they would sing. They would sing praises. And they would be thanking God for the opportunity. And then they would tell the Gospel to the guy who was guarding them. And he would become a brother. And that guy, he and his family would all be baptized. And they would would start a whole church out of all of this. Why? Because Jesus keeps His promises. Even in the hardships of life, even when we turn on the news and we see all of the crud that's happening, and it's happening both to Christians and it's happening to people that are outside the church. And the one thing we all have in common, regardless of what those circumstances are, is every one of us was made in the image of God. Every one of us needs to know the peace of mind and the peace of, and, the, and, and the peace of heart that only God can give. Meanwhile, the evil one is at the door. And he uses these circumstances to divide, to further drive wedges between the church and the people the church would like to reach with the gospel of Christ. He will take that opportunity and he will make things look foreboding. But what do we know? If we will remain faithful to the teachings of Christ, if we will become imitators of Christ by obeying His commands, if we will trust His Spirit as His Spirit leads us day in and day out to do the good that we know that we ought to do, then His promised gift of peace of mind and heart will not only bring peace into our own situations that can be chaotic, He can make us ambassadors of His peace, His shalom, into a world that badly, badly, badly needs it right now. And that's why He then says at the very end, so let's go. And that's my admonition to the church this morning. Knowing that it's that simple, not necessarily easy, because we've read the book of Acts, but simple. Obey Jesus. Trust His Spirit. Yield to His Spirit. Know the peace of mind that only He can bring. You change the world and you turn it upside down. So let's go. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that You send us out this morning as salt and light into a world that desperately needs it. We pray, Father, that they see in us, experience through us, Your love, Your joy, Father, we pray that You would help us to overcome sometimes the things that are driven by fear that cause us to be anxious and grumpy and not at all as Jesus was. Father, we pray that You will help us to see the devil's schemes for what they are. To no longer let him drive a wedge between us and the people that need to hear the Gospel. Father, we pray that You will keep us always aware that our enemies are not flesh and blood. They are not our fellow humans. We have been sent here to share Your love with them. Father, we pray that that's what You would guide us to do in all of our efforts. We pray that we will be fruitful because of You, that all glory will be Yours. It's in Your Son's name that we pray. Amen. We always offer an opportunity for prayer. And if you would like uh, the prayers of the church... If you would like to pray with one of our elders, uh, we're going to sing a song in here in a moment. You can go to the back and one of the elders will meet you there and pray with you. 
If you have decided that this is the day that you want to put Christ on in baptism, we'll stop everything we're doing to see you enter into the kingdom of God and into the service of God. Uh, but if you'd like to do that, uh, you can either come here or go there and uh, meet one of us as we stand as we sing this last song. <clears throat> there is beyond the azure blue a God.